Hello and welcome to this episode of 10,000 Posts. It's a show about how everything is posting. My name is Hussein. My name is Phoebe. And uh, yeah, this week, uh, well, I'm in, I'm in a nicer cubby. I, I want to just give cubby updates, uh, nicer cubby, air conditioning, things are good. Uh, Phoebe, how's it going on your side? Um, it's going okay. You know how you were sick for ages and I was yeah. crowing about how I never get sick because I'm the king of the universe. Okay, oh. so now I'm sick. <laughs> okay, so that must mean that I'm going to get a lot of good health. Uh, yeah. Very excited Hopefully. about that. Haven't felt that for a while. Uh, speaking of health, we are joined this week by a returning guest, uh, a friend of us, uh, P. Moskowitz. Uh, if you don't know uh, P., uh, they run a very, very good writer and they also run a very excellent uh, newsletter called Mental Health. I definitely recommend you subscribing to it on Substack. Uh, and we'll put the link in the show notes. P, how's it going? It's going fine. I was also very sick for a very long time with a mystery virus that wasn't COVID. So oh. I'm glad that's the world we live in now where everyone's just sick. <laughs> We're <laughs> updating like sick. each other on literally like, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. relative sickness i could be sick i feel like ramadan brain has gotten to me so much mm-hmm. that i don't actually know what my sort of like state is um i just know that i wake up at 4 a.m uh i kind of reluctantly eat eggs i go back to bed uh and <laughs> i feel horrible the whole day until i have wow. to do it all over again 10 more days baby let's go um wow. no but, but this week uh we are uh well Something happened, as always, but we we wanted to do this episode for a while. But basically, like the perfect kind of article came out to really, uh, to really talk about this. Uh, it was a bustle article written by uh, Rebecca Fishbane. The article was called "Is Therapy Talk Making Us Selfish?" Um, the article focuses on this kind of highly clinical, somewhat corporate way of navigating and negotiating personal relationships, and it's crucially, um, and it argues that in some cases people are using this type of language to. Uh, either avoid having diff- like either avoiding confronting difficult elements of human relationships or really and as a result of that like may actually be treating people much worse than if they had just ghosted them um this language kind of has been around for a little bit uh i think like don't you know we we all remember that like uh, uh that template i i have the template but i'm going to read out just in case you don't remember um the template goes, hey, I'm so glad you reached out. I'm actually at capacity slash helping someone else who is in crisis slash dealing with some personal stuff right now. And I don't think I can hold appropriate space for you. Could we connect at, quote, later date or time? Instead, do you have someone else that you can reach out to? Uh, this is this is a template written out um, on the basis that like if someone reached out to you for a problem and you didn't like either if you didn't really want to be able to do it or you didn't think you could do it, here was like a polite way of like pushing that away. Um, yeah, I like so I guess like before we sort of get into what the article, like some of the details in that article, um, I wondered, P, as someone who's like written about this for a long time, has talked about this for a long time, um, I guess as a starting point, like what would you kind of define as therapy speak? I don't know whether I sort of got it accurate or whether now there's like, you know, there's like a more nuanced or deeper understanding of what it actually refers to. So maybe we can start from there. Yeah, I mean, I think the way people talk about therapy is very confusing because it's like no therapy I've ever been to. Um, You know, like I thought, you know, I've been in psychoanalysis and that's like about wanting to like fuck your mom or whatever. Like it's like really deep, not, not saying that that's what I want to do, but like, you know, like that's the stereotypical thing, like deep perverse things that you're supposed to be discussing. But the way that therapy gets talked about online is a much more like HR speak, I would say than, Mm -hmm. than actual therapy speak. It's like very, uh, you know, how to 
talk to people in a way that offends them the least and in a way that is the most, most emotionally competent and in a way that's, uh, yeah, just least offensive and, and I don't know, could be said in a boardroom uh, as much as it could be said anywhere else. So I feel like when people talk in therapy speak, what they're really talking about is talking in, in HR speak and talking as if they were a corporation of some kind, which I feel like being online encourages because we don't actually know any of each other online and we're all just mm. separated from each other so much. Mm-hmm. Before we sort of get talking into the art of talking about this in more detail, I wanted to read a section of the article itself, which I think is kind of a good way of explaining some of the themes that we're going to be talking about in this episode. So the opening begins in well, in one of the opening paragraphs, it begins in recent years, therapy concepts like self-care and boundary setting have shown up everywhere online with Instagram accounts and other social media communities sharing mantras and advice for advocating self-actualization. TikTok therapists like Nadia DC, Therapy Jeff offer tips for struggling with anxiety, self-esteem, and people-pleasing. Therapy speak, prescriptive language for describing certain psychological concepts and behaviors can be found everywhere from group chats to dating apps, and now we have more of language to advocate for ourselves and our needs, whether it be cancelling plans when we feel overwhelmed or ending relationships that no longer serve us. Um, I guess on that point, uh, yeah, I, I, I wondered whether, because like obviously a lot of the kind of proliferation of this kind of language has come through social media platforms. I think TikTok is kind of like the most prevalent one for like when people are trying to point to examples of this. But I wondered, uh, PE, whether you could talk to us about how social media has kind of like, or how social media platforms have kind of uh, accelerated, maybe one way to use it, but to at least like proliferate this type of language. Um, And who's actually doing it? Because I think from my cursory understanding, like, Obviously, there are not, it's not all psychotherapists or psychologists. In fact, there aren't really that many of them compared to, say, like life coaches, but there are definitely some people who are trained uh, who are kind of making these types of videos that have similar sentiments and, in some cases, even kind of like breach their own kind of ethical guidelines and talking about patients in order to do this. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple of different things going on that are all converging. One is like, I think we talked about last time I was on, which was just like the the kind of uh, therapization of everything in your own life so that, you know, every emotion you have, every time you feel a little sad, you you quantify or qualify it as a, as a disorder of some kind, as some kind of DSM diagnosis or whatever. So I feel like that's become so pervasive online that we're so used to thinking as, of everything as a kind of... Uh, problem that can be diagnosed through some kind of therapeutic or psychiatric system. So I think that's what's going on on the kind of individual level. But then I think on an interpersonal level, everyone has forgotten how to be human with each other (laughs) because of existing (laughs) online. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if, you know, we've all seen the charts of people, you know, the number of hours that people spend with each other every week declining rapidly in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, And there are lots of factors uh, for that, including the pandemic and uh, the fact that we're all working a million hours a week and all the rest. But I also just think the fact that the internet has become our main method through which we interact has completely made people forget how to be human with each other and how to be flawed. And so everything mm-hmm. gets pushed into this kind of PR and HR speak because people are afraid of of like actual human interaction and this feels a lot safer to them it feels a lot uh, more rigid and a lot more rule following and therefore less you're less likely to make an error of some kind 
Yeah, I think no, I think that I think that's right. I think that's also um, an element of the way that social media has a single currency, which is which is attention and drawing attention to yourself, and that has an effect on the way that care and resources are distributed. If you are using social media as a kind of mental health resource, uh, and it and it routinely means that people who have the most complex and the most kind of knotty and intractable difficulties are the ones who are uh, being ignored or being talked over or being subsumed. But what I what I'm really keen to try and kind of dig out a little bit. Um, is something I was just thinking about this morning when I was um, when I was thinking about what we're going to be talking about for this episode. Is that like the act of the act of like posting and the act of building your online persona is about an externalization of the self, right? It's right. about it's about constructing this image, which is a kind of collect, which is a sort of collection and coalescence of different elements of how you would like to be seen, whether that's the jokes you make, the tastes you have, your diagnoses, how you can be, how you can be categorized, how you can be geotagged, right? Like this, right. this is like this is what you are. You, it's like it's about building, building a map, like building a map yes. with like little winky lights all over it and then you can present that to other people and then they can see whether or not their maps fit with your like fit alongside your maps right then you have something like analysis which is also about creating a framework and creating a map but it's going inward it's an investigation of the self looking in and trying to work through what your interior mental map is, which is something that nobody else has access to. And what, and so when you get a collision of the concept of analysis or the concept of therapy and the concept of building an online persona or participating in an online community, you can't put these two things together because they are so because they are so fundamentally mm. intention in terms of the kinds mm. of maps that you're drawing and the frameworks that you're building. I think that's a great point. And like if we think of therapy and the internet as two technologies, you know, like technologies of self discovery mm. or technologies of, of self image making or whatever it may be, yeah, they are kind of diametrically opposed technologies in a way. So maybe what we're seeing is the kind of the the desire of a certain set of therapists and a certain kind of therapy to mesh better with the technology of the internet, if that makes yeah. sense. Because I think back in the day, I mean, like Freudianism, uh, you know, Lacanianism, what, whatever, like those things are not really compatible with an internet way of mm -hmm. thinking of yourself because they're way too complex. They, it, it is about creating an internal map and an internal story of yourself, but those stories are kind of never ending. It's like, I don't know, the other day I was thinking about how, in a way, psychoanalysis is kind of like a religion, but it's like you're writing your own Bible, you know, like you're mm -hmm. writing your own story to follow and your own rules to follow. And that's infinitely complex. And that's why I love it. And then you go to social media and not everyone has the time to investigate your whole own Bible, right? Like not, yeah. you, no one can follow each other's religion online. Yeah. Uh, you have to have little And if you try to, it makes you weird. Like that's right, a weird exactly. thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and like, so, but you have to create like these kind of sound bite 
versions of what you actually believe or what you actually think of yourself um, in order to communicate across this like vast, you know, expanse of the internet. And I think what we're seeing with therapy right now is only a certain sect of therapists is trying to make that language compatible in internet technology. Mm-hmm. I think probably most therapists, like I cannot imagine my therapist ever making a TikTok. I don't even think he knows what TikTok <laughs> is. And I think that's how all therapists should be. I don't think they should ever even learn what technology is. They should just, <laughs> you know, be like a 90 year old Jewish woman who sits surrounded by books all day in, in my. Yes. I do, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is a therapist. Anyone else is a hack, right? <laughs> so when I see all these TikTokified therapists, I think I think we're talking about two different things. Like, there's that's mm. a different thing than like what actual therapy is, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, because th- well, well, therapy can't possibly. I mean, like, all right, there are a couple of things going on here. I think that people are a little bit too. Um, too quick to kind of describe therapy as a kind of a catch-all. I think that there are um, a number of circumstances in which it it's sort of not terribly effective. Um, I think it's a kind. I think it's a tool and methodology for coping and processing rather than uh, rather than a treatment. Especially, mm-hmm. um, I I am as I believe I've said to you before. I'm. I'm not that happy with the uh, with the kind of infinite trust of the hospital. I think is the best right. way I can <laughs> the best way I can think of it. I think it's definitely the case that there are infinite uh, social problems which manifest as personal suffering, which should not be farmed out to profit making entities. Right. And that and that creates a kind of class of perma customer. That's not a kind of statement on whether or not whether or not medication works, because that's not that's not something which you can make a kind of blanket statement about. And it's not a statement about whether or not therapy works. It's about what it's supposed to what it's supposed to mm-hmm. be. So when people say, Oh, you should just go to therapy, then you need to be thinking about, well, what what would be what would be the goal there? Is that to make you feel like you are more coming to terms with yourself? Is that to make you more able to manage the inescapable fact of suffering? Is it right. people trying to is it people trying to make the extraordinary out of the ordinary? Like what like what is it? What are you seeing right. as it as it being for? But it is by very nature customizable. It has to be customized. Anything mm-hmm. which is pre- presenting itself as a kind of rule that can be applied exactly. to any number of situations and any number of people is by its very nature. It's just a, it's just it's just an MLM, right? Like I online agree. like online therapy chat. Like how because how 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 can it apply to you if if they don't know you? And it's again part of this um, part of this. Un- interested to know what you think about this as a thought part of this tendency online is to um and i say online i mean online mediated by social media uh, whether that be twitter whether that be instagram whether that be tiktok 
etc. It's to either set yourself up as an authority or to appeal to an authority, to, con- to construct authorities. Uh, and I fall for this all the time. Like the other day, um, I was getting very anxious about um, about the climate, as I like to do from time to time. It's like a little mm. hobby. Um, <laughs> so I uh, injured myself by going around looking at some like at some of this kind of sort of doomsday kind of. Actually, you know, it's all t- a bit too late to do something about this, and you know, kind of reading about the various deals that various governments are making with fossil fuel companies and etc. And I got myself really, really wound up. And then I saw a post that somebody I vaguely know made saying something along the lines of this is kind of this is obviously it's real, but like this stuff is like it's it's fear mongering and humanity will find a way of sustaining itself and will find a way of surviving. And I was immediately comforted. And then my next thought was, well, why am I listening to them? They don't know. <laughs> they don't know any more than I. Why have I assumed that right. this person, just because they've set themselves up as an authority, that they actually have any legitimate authority? And this right. is what analysis is. It's a kind of it's a kind of pretense authority. You give the figure of your analyst the uh, the capacity to take an authority about your mind mm-hmm. and your inner being, but actually, mm-hmm. all they have access to is what you give them. Right. Which is why, I mean, I think a lot of analysts would say that you, you're building yourself as an authority on your own life, like in the kind of traditional psychoanalytic tradition, like therapists aren't really supposed to give you direct advice, Mm -hmm. which is why I'm very confused when I see people being like, my therapist said that loving your boyfriend is a sign of trauma or whatever. I'm like, who is your therapist? And like, what are you talking? (laughs) What are you talking about in therapy? Because like, my therapist said that like my dream about being in the middle of a desert last night was like really about like my grandma or whatever, you know, and it's like, that's not an, that's not a universalist statement that you can apply to everyone. <laughs> so like why I, I just don't understand what kind of universal language you're using in therapy and all this advice they're giving you. Like, I, it just doesn't seem like actual therapy to me, but, but I think you're totally right that, um, that this, the way that therapy interacts online is it, be, it basically does become this kind of MLM thing. And I was, you know, in the last week, unfortunately, I've gone into not even a TikTok hole, an Instagram Reels hole, which oh. is even sadder somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and first of all, it's Instagram Reels has gathered that I am like an apocalyptic Baptist Christian. Um, <laughs> I which, see. Yep. Yeah. I don't know how they knew that about me. I haven't <laughs> told anyone that. But um, uh. So I get a lot of very scary videos about how we're all going to die, except if you submit yourself to Jesus right now, which is interesting. Um, but so that's half my Instagram reels. And then the other half are basically multi-level marketing schemes. You know, like if you follow this advice, you will get your car. If you buy this stock, you will get rich. If you follow this diet advice, you will do this. So buy my course. And and I feel like that's exactly what's happening with with therapy stuff now, too, is they're coming up with this universalist language that uh, can be can be sold because online we're all in a kind of marketplace. It's not it's not mm-hmm. some kind of neutral town square. Twitter mm-hmm. and Instagram and TikTok are not neutral town squares. It's everyone hawking their wares. Um, you know, like their vendors 
uh, on the street, except because they're not actually selling anything useful. They have to lie to you <laughs> about what they're selling you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Which I don't know. It's sad. I hate the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I was like really interested in because um, you you actually went sort of mentioned at the tail end the kind of well sort of like the dominance of like MLMs and how a lot of these MLMs and like even like the kind of classic ones like so for like my day job was like doing kind of journalism and stuff. There's a project I'm working on at the moment about um, kind of like very is is it's sort of been it's like one of the classic like MLMs that. Um, they'd been around for a long time and the ways in which like they've when the ways they've changed so like when I encountered them like 10 years ago they were sort of present this this MLM but I'm not going to like name for obvious reasons um, was kind of presenting itself as like you know uh, selling the idea of like independence running your own business and so on the idea of being mm. kind of like an entrepreneur and like spending time with your kids and everything and now a lot of that marketing especially because it has to compete with other things that have effectively become MLMs. They have now also sort of like embraced what you would sort of call like the language of kind of like life coach therapy type of stuff. So the ways in which they mark they market the same kind of like tech products that are part of this scheme are like, oh, you know, at, you know, at nine to five, your mental health will always be like really bad because you have to answer to a boss. But like now, like you know, this is the same argument, but they just they've just reframed it in such a way where it's like, oh, actually, kind of like joining this scheme means that like your you know you can prioritize your mental health and prioritize your well-being right. which i just never seen before and i, I it kind of got me thinking just about the sort of dominant like where this sort of language kind of comes from because to me and again like i i don't know how like how where, where you would date it from from where i understand there's some time around about in the 2010s when a lot of kind of like professional company like services companies white collar jobs and stuff are introducing like forms of mental well like wellness stuff for their employees partly because of like employee like some of the employee at least where i was working at the time employee pressure to like bring in more mental health like stuff especially mm -hmm. for news reporters who have to like watch like beheading videos and stuff but obviously they don't want to pay for everyone to like go to therapy so as a result they roll out these right. types of services which are kind of like what you would now kind of call what fuck what's what like one of those types of apps where like you know the calm better app. help yeah 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 your better health your calm apps and so on um and then over time you then have like more and more companies who are basically doing these these same types of things and then when they're kind of making cutbacks even to that they're instead just opting to kind of use wellness language but by that point it's so kind of like embedded into the lexicon of corporate speak that it becomes not only does it become difficult to sort of like distinguish between like you know what is wellness and what isn't we can maybe talk about that but you're also sort of finding that like you know where you know marketing is now all using this type like this type of language and influencers who are adjacent to marketing are all using this type of language um so i mean that's kind of how i experienced it anyway but i was going to ask like where do you think that this type where where do you sort of mark the starting point for this language kind of like entering the main and uh, mainstream may not be the right word, but entering like non therapeutic areas of like social life. Right. Well, I just had a, a terrifying thought about what you were saying, which is that, you know, given the kind of cost cutting of every corporation and the fact that we're all independent contractors now, and uh, we, you know, in the same way that we've all become our own marketers online, maybe mm. we've all become our own HR departments too, <laughs> in a way where we have like a little part of our brain 
that, you know, is saying, here's how you make your image of yourself online in order to make money. And then we have another little part of our brain saying, here's how you must talk to people in order to not upset them in the workplace of life, because everything (laughs) is work now. Um, So that was just the thought I had, which kind of scared me. But anyway. (laughs) No, 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 you're you're completely right. I think what is interesting about this is how many different like types and categories of advice giving have kind of welded together because like the 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 famous script the I'm actually at capacity now um caused a lot of discourse as I remember is not actually quite the same as the how to how to uh sack one of your friends in such a way that because there's like there's a weird kind of like kind of anti-screenshot guard sort of feeling about it it's like so it's like people communicating with their friends in such a way that it's not going to embarrass them if it's read out at a tribunal like that it's so carefully worded that that it could never possibly come back badly on them but I think a real friendship is like is pretty much predicated on the fact that if your communications were ever leaked, then both of your lives would be over. Like that's right, exactly. that's what friendship is to me. Right. <laughs> um, but I think because I think that there are people who find scripts in social situations quite useful. Like I don't think I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that. And like certainly if like certainly if I have like. Um, like a kind of professional call, I sometimes write down the stuff sure. that I want that I want to kind of cover, so I don't so I don't forget. Like it's like it's like having a kind of personalized agenda. It's just anything which looks like someone else has written it for you. Right. Um, that's when it starts right. looking kind of sort of bloodless and robotic, and and like it's sort of ignoring the complexity of human relationships. Yeah, uh, and I just I just. W- I worry that people, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting a a kind of template um, for certain situations. And, you know, I think before the internet, relationship books were some of the most popular books out Mm -hmm. there, right? Like men are from Mars and women are from Venus or whatever, right? Like Mm. that we've always needed some kind of help with how to talk to each other. Uh, And sometimes that help is is, um, good. And sometimes it's bad, like, you know, the stupid Barnes and Noble bestseller books that were popular in the 90s or whatever. Mm. But um, but I guess what I worry about now is whether people really have relationships where they can talk in normal human ways. I mean, <laughs> because like, I think what... No, I, know, think that, I, I, think, no I think that's completely right. Sorry for jumping in. I will let you finish no, no, your thought yeah. just as I'm... Because I have a thought and I need, need to get it out. need to get it out. <laughs> um, please don't report me to HR. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's I it feels quite a lot like the like the like self-help books around kind of dating and relationships as well. That that what it's sort of about is that people are just like desperate for mercy in the in their kind of interactions with other people. They're desperate for there to be like some way that they're going to be told that that everything is going to be okay and that there is a, and that there is a kind of understandable 
non-bewildering reason for the painful things that happen in their lives. So there's a kind of there's a magic combination of words mm-hmm. that can make someone who you are dating and you liked and they don't want to see you anymore or they ghost you or whatever or like a friend has decided they don't want to be friends with you anymore it's this idea and it's again it's another appeal to authority it's an appeal to rules it's why people say this stuff is like oh it's the new religion it's the new religion and I actually don't think that's quite right I think it's more that these are expressive of consistent historical human social impulses right. to want authority and to want this kind of structure and to want and to want mercy to want reassurance that uh, even though the like the ceiling for joy is finite and the floor for suffering is infinite that there is a kind of magical combination of words which will rescue from it and i think that when people say it's not that i mind about being ghosted i i just want to confront them and i want them to tell me why and i think this is i think this is a lie i think that it's horrible to force someone to say why they no longer want you to (laughs) want you to be i don't believe for one minute that there is anything a friend who is ditching you can say that's going to make you feel good that's going to heal that's going to put balm on this wound and like the more it sounds like it's a kind of item on their work to do list the worse that's gonna feel i think it's also just like there is no universal rule that applies to that situation like i've been in friendships that have you know fizzled out or that i feel like i can't be close to that person anymore because we create an unhealthy dynamic of some sort and I feel codependent and I feel like I have to get away from them. And sometimes that involves having like 25 hour long conversations about how much you mean to each other, but you, you know, whatever, like can't be in each other's lives. And sometimes that means you just slowly drift apart. But I think the problem is trying to create these universalist rules Mm. around this stuff just doesn't work. And it makes me worried that people don't actually have proper social support and friendship in their lives if they're relying on stuff like this so much. Because Mm. I think if you did, then you'd realize that everything was messy and that rules didn't apply uh, from one relationship to the other and that everything was, you know, contextual and dependent on, on the relationship itself. And so I just wonder if like, People are so not used to having those intense relationships where you really feel like you, I don't know, where, yeah, where like if the chats got leaked that you would all be canceled or whatever. Like, that's it, those, that's it. Right, those kinds of friendships. Like if you don't have those in the real, in the real world, not just online, like then I think that causes you to kind of search for these kind of scripts, mm. which, which is very yeah. sad to me. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to ask about, because like this was in, when I was thinking about uh, this today as well. I think that sort of like separation, dichotomy, whatever you want to call it, was really, is really like the thing that I think is quite instructive in all this in the sense that, I mean, what's the, be- the better way of putting it is to sort of like, I'm the idea of like not really knowing what a friendship sort of looks like, because the way that it looks like in like digital space online is kind of different from like, you know what it actually looks like in real life where 
you know, right. the messiness can kind of operate in those different ways. But as you mentioned, like earlier on in this episode, where like we've sort of become a lot more isolated, generally, like, you know, accelerated by the pandemic, but definitely a trend that was sort of happening long before partly as a result of like, you know, becoming, you know, being forced to become freelancers, being forced to like take on multiple jobs, not really having like enough public space or like, you know, those opportunities to sort of build friendships and relationships and so on. Um, we, you like, I, I wonder whether for some people like online is really kind of the more visual barometer of trying to decide or, or determining how much of a relationship is valid and how much of it is real and how much of it isn't. Right. And then, you know, cause I, I think I catch myself in this a few times. Um, you know, even at my like big old age where like, you know, I'll, you know, where I'm not actually supposed to have more than like four friends. There is like this part of me that's just, like, oh, like, you know, I don't uh, like on my online relationship, like I have like online friends as in like friends I mostly talk to online and see on the internet where, you know, that will have like group chats that sort of happen like throughout the day. And like, you know, I'll sort of certainly exchange a lot more in terms of like not personal information, but just like banter, I guess, in different forms. Um, but like, I might not see like my very close in real life friends for like right. weeks, maybe months at a time. And it won't right. ever occur to me that like, oh, well, like, because our DMs and our WhatsApps and stuff like will not be the same as like my group chat. But then I right. have caught myself thinking about, oh, like, you know, am I sort of losing touch with my real world friends or on the converse, like, oh, why do, why am I talking like my online friends who I speak to every day? Like, why do I not see them very often? And why do I like right. I not get, but you know what I mean? And then it becomes like quite messy. And I wonder whether part of that is literally just because like, as more of our lives like move online um, and where like those sort of kind of, you know, where those sort of definitions and boundaries become more like, you know, uh, become looser, maybe like non-existent. We actually can't really distinguish between the two. And as a result, like we sort of expect our real life relationships to operate exactly. in the same way as like a digital one. Mm. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, when we talk about the internet and when we talk about online, we're talking about the technology and locale where capitalism takes place in this era, right? So it's like back in the day during the industrialization part of capitalism, like it would be the equivalent of talking about the factory, in my opinion, right? Like mm. where if, you know, everyone is miserable because they have to work 18 hours a day or whatever uh, in the in the steel factory, right? And I'm not saying that our lives as posters or whatever are as hard as steel workers back in the 1800s or no, whatever. No, I think we can say but, that. That's fine. I'm happy to, <laughs> I'm happy to stand by that. <laughs> but, um, but I think that, like, we're not just talking about, like, a, a change in how we socialize. It's like, literally, this is the the focal point of our entire lives, how we make money, our uh, our social relations, it's everything. It's, it is the, the kind of end all and be all of, of what exists in the world is the internet right now. Mm. And so I think there is an incentive, like a capitalist incentive for us to be on the internet and to internetify everything in our lives mm -hmm. as much as humanly possible, because that is how people make money these days. And so I think it's becoming rarer and rarer to have real world relationships, not just because we're like, addicted to online but because mm. the world is online there mm. is no offline world anymore yeah. and the more you have an offline world the more uh idiosyncratic that is these days like it's really becoming uh rare and yeah. i think that that's that's sad i feel very blessed to live in new york 
to, I feel very blessed to be like queer because I feel like a lot of like straight people that I know don't have like a bunch of friends that, you know, they can go hang out with. And I feel like I do, but I also feel like it's kind of like rare, like, you know, to have that. And I, you know, when I've traveled the country, when I've gone to places where there aren't public streets and there aren't lots of bars and aren't lots of, you know, weird little niche communities like there are in New York, it's like people just don't have that period. And I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think it can be overstated how much online has affected our relationships. And I, I used to feel like guilty or like, uh, I was just some kind of like aging millennial who (laughs) was sick of the internet. But I think it's really true. Like Mm. that this is the, the thing that defines our lives and that is kind of like sucking us all into itself. Yeah, no, no, I know. I, I, I very much agree. Like, I don't think it's even too much of a leap to say that the more you are required to make a document of yourself, whether that is for social or professional necessity, or because it, it's the only thing that's available, it's all, it's all you've got. There are no public, there are no public spaces. It's hard to make friends as an adult, etc., etc., etc. But the more material that it that is that is existing outside of yourself the less able you are to nourish the inner self because mm. it's all just there in this kind of proliferation um and surfeit of kind of data points whether that is how you're like operating in the real world or whether that's how you're operating online it's just you're just this kind of great collection of data it's like the it's like right. the de- Board thing about you know the more you make a product out of yourself the further away you get from the self like the more like the more you sublimate yourself to the product that you've allowed yourself to become right and that's right. and that's certainly the case with like how um like social media companies like use our data like it's it really is strange the f- it's so hard to talk about people being phone addicts without sounding like a boomer, but like, right. Also, right, I think you're right. Like, yeah, no, I mean, I think also, we should probably state that this is the truth and not, not feel like we're boomers about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because the, the companies that design the addictants don't care. They don't give a shit. They don't care whether we, they don't care whether you live or die. All they care about is being able to generate their saleable data points and, and harvesting you for content. I mean, ha- yeah. it, it's they're saying they're saying it very plainly. Like when we talk about AI stuff, when we see the the kind of apocalyptic, in his mind, utopian vision, but in everyone else's mind, apocalyptic vision, <laughs> like Elon Musk talking about like the future where we're all just be like computers or whatever. Mm. All these all these billionaires who see that as the future. That's literally what is happening right we're all becoming part of this large machine where we are harvested for content and harvested for our emotions so that we can be sold to each other in a marketplace that benefits not us not us right them so and now and all all of the stuff about ai which like at the moment is like uh, jumped up search engines and jumped up photoshop it's like it's it's a very deliberate distraction to the kind of the like the data monsters that are being made out of 
out of us like yeah. i don't i don't care that like a computer might take my job but i but i care about the idea of being of expecting to externalize everything about my interior and emotional life and sell it to silicon valley that is something that bothers me right and i think that the the therapy stuff is just like one of the most in, insidious parts of this much larger thing mm. which is the the harvesting of your own self your own emotions for yeah. content that then can be sold against ads um, or ads that can be sold against the content, whatever, I don't know the right way to say that, but uh, that can then benefit Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg and whoever owns TikTok. Um, and I don't even like, know who owns TikTok. Uh, China, duh. No. Uh, <laughs> but presumably there's a specific Bite Dance and his various yeah. subsidiaries. And, right. Yeah. But there's not like one guy like there is like a Zuckerberg as far as I know. I don't know. It's not like a Mr. TikTok. What? The founder and CEO of ByteDance and therefore the man who was in charge during the development of TikTok is a man by the name of Zhang Yiming. Um, but since 2021, TikTok itself has had its own appointed CEO, which is Xu Zichu, who is the guy who recently went in front of Congress. Um, back to the episode. I, I was, yeah, Mr. TikTok. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right, Mr. TikTok. I was also going to add that, like, actually, one of the more like kind of really insidious things about the new tech guys now is that they're like, there's a there's a sort of contingent of them who are sort of positing themselves as kind of being, you know, not I don't want to say trad because like not, but they're sort of positioning themselves as kind of being like, oh, you know, we because Elon Musk's like kind of whole thing about his fears of like population decline, and I was sort of thinking to myself that. Or what they really need is like a continued user base, right? Because eventually, mm -hmm. like if if the people who are like sort of addicted to their products or like not even like are coerced into sort of using them in every aspect of their lives can't actually afford to like reproduce enough to make these businesses sustain sustainable, they really right. have to sort of push the boat. So it's this really incendiary thing of this like, oh, actually, what they kind of consider us to be is kind of, you know, not people worthy of like social lives or having inner lives or having kind of like friendships or rich, meaningful lives in the real world, but really is just kind of continuing to produce flesh and bone so that we can keep using their products. Right. I mean, yeah, I feel like we're, this we're straying a bit into is... human battery stuff here, but I also a bit think I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like in the last like 40 minutes, I've like become full Ted Kaczynski at this point. But, it, happens. Um... It, does, it does happen when you do like this type of stuff. Like, yeah. But no, I really feel like it's like we've mined the physical world to death. Mm. And so all we can mine now is the internal world of humans. Yeah. <laughs> and so and we've and I think we've done that already with like content, right? Like we've made right. our yeah. entire lives content, but we've run out of that already now. Memes aren't really funny anymore. Like every TikTok is the same. Like so yeah. now what do we do? We have to go deeper and deeper. So we have to now talk about our childhood trauma and why, you know, yeah. men are mean to us and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we're just this going is, deeper yeah. and deeper for content. Mm -hmm. Like you have to go deeper and deeper in a deep water drilling well to get oil these yeah. days. It's like, ugh. this, this yeah. is a really good point. Because I think I remember when you came on to the episode last time, I think we spoke a little bit about this and like in relation to like your BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed, the BuzzFeedification of mental health essay. And the whole like premise of, you know, the idea that not only are you sort of like churning, well, all the, the, the incentive should like be if you're a kind of like tech social media platform 
that people are kind of like constantly reproducing identities in the form of content. But what happens when that runs out? What happens when the rate of that sort of production becomes too fast to actually like kind of meaningfully replicate? It makes complete sense for like, okay, the next phase of that would literally be like monitor, like kind of doing the same thing, but for your internal life. Um, And then as a result, you then you will inevitably have like a section of content creators, um, which is what these people are, who are kind of like, there to kind of facilitate that churn of content right and they you know in in that case like i do wonder whether this sort of proliferation of these types of life coaches who are putting out this type of advice this this very sort of like absolutist advice stuff that is like deliberately confrontational and in some cases because i was watching a few of these videos like this morning and like in, some, in a lot of these cases these guys who are giving out this information um, who I would sort of like put more in the life coaching element will always start by saying something like, okay, you might not like this, you know, the people like, you know, people in your life might not like this, but actually you need to sort of shut them down if you're going to like optimize, if you're going to be like this sort of, sort of type of like 1% male, for example, uh, yeah. in the case of these male spaces, like they will deliberately be confrontational in part because like they kind of know that it will churn enough reaction to make that piece of content worth it mm. and i guess that sort of leads me on to this other question about like the proliferation of life coaches on kind of on these types of platforms um and we spoke a little bit about how like you know the people who are giving out this information they are certainly like for the most part not therapists i wondered if he, whether you had any thoughts like because i imagine you've probably been observing this space a lot more than we have but where did all these life coaches sort of come from because i think it's kind of become so weird now to the point where when i was writing these notes part of what I was thinking about was like, like a couple of school friends of mine who had like professional careers, like not that long ago, spent the pandemic training to become life coaches. And wow. that'd be like, to me, that sort of feel really weird because, you know, I, 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 I said, I certainly knew that like it was sort of growing, but not to that scale where it kind of becomes really sort of local. But I guess there is like this kind of blueprint now on how to do it. And how to sort of monetize that. So I wondered whether you had any thoughts on like where are these guys sort of coming from and like this kind of popularity of coaching. Um, to me, it sort of speaks. To me, it sort of seems like it's kind of this way people have sort of identified that like in this type of climate where everyone is online and lonely, yeah, you know, you can mm. make a lot of money by like monetizing this type of like faux empathy on the basis of like, well, not only am I sort of going to show you care and empathy, but I'm also going to like give you solutions that like a therapist will not provide right right i think yeah i i think it's a really great question i don't know exactly where they did come from it does seem like there are a lot of them but i kind of think it's like it's everything nowadays like i saw some stat that one third or one half of harvard's graduating class goes into consulting which like what does (laughs) that even mean like no one has a real job anymore. (laughs) they're just telling other people how to do their jobs um so i don't know i don't know but yeah it kind of just feels like the the influencerification of therapy, because as we've been talking about, actual therapy is not suitable for an online audience because mm. it is so specific to each person. And so life coaching, on the other hand, can be applied more broadly and therefore fits in much better with this online economy. But, I d- you know, are there schools teaching people how to, how to do this? Or is it a really like a multi-level marketing thing where, where like people are bringing people into their life coaching thing and then they're bringing 10 people into mm-hmm. their life coaching thing. Um, I actually I do have know. an, I do actually have the answer to this or certainly oh, really? I have the answer to this for the UK. Uh, you can get a certification, but there isn't like a kind of accredited 
body. Anyone can set themselves up as a life coach and say, I am a life coach. This is literally a storyline in Peep Show. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think that what people, like what people miss and then they sort of, but then if they don't miss it, then they then diagnose it in sort of quite an annoying way. You know, the way that people like to say, oh, well, that's capitalism. And they think that's like the end of the discussion. And I'm always just like, well, what do you mean? What, how is it capitalism? Right. Do you mean capitalism as like an invisible ethereal force? Or do you mean it as a set of historical and material forces which are sustained and energized by the actions of people and of institutions? And if that is affecting everyone in the same deleterious way, then how does it not disintegrate entirely? There must be people who significantly benefit from it. You can't pretend, you can't sort of do this kind of like, oh yeah, like we all suffer under capitalism because it's not strictly true. I mean, like humanity will eventually entirely suffer (laughs) under under capitalism. But like in terms of, but in terms of like, the sorts of people who would find life coaching effective, they offer a very, very particular subset of of person. Um, they are for uh, office-based, mainly kind of knowledge workers. Um, and they're all about how to, sh- like if, if you look at like kind of life coaching advice, it's always about how to, shift your perception away from any kind of unwelcome revelations so mm. if you're a kind of yeah say say you're a kind of knowledge worker consultant or whatever one of the things that a life coach will tell you is to get away from the idea that your job has no meaning and has no value and how you spend your days is it, it, it's, it's a kind of it's it's empty and it's causing you to be empty as well I don't think that people should be discouraged from facing up to that, actually. I think that people should be, it's like that, it's like that meme about, um, like how the most selfish person, you know, is the person who says like, I just need to put myself first. I just need to put myself first for a while. And that they're always the most, the most hateful person, you know, um, (laughs) who has never put anyone's self, anyone first, not once in their entire life. And it's for people who are, it's not that it's making people selfish, it's for selfish people who want to have a kind of recognizable sort of framework of empathy and feeling good about the way they've chosen to live their lives. And in many cases, the way that they are able to live their lives very often at the expense of other people, whether that is whether that is people who are kind of local to them, who are doing kind of gr- grim menial app jobs so that they can live lead these kind of frictionless existence, right. or whether it's or whether it's kind of a more kind of exploitative and extractive relationship like it is through neocolonialism. Right. I mean, I think. Sorry, I don't want to cut you. No, off, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that like another thing that's happening is like, you know, the internet is new, but that kind of person is not new, and that's no. been a kind <laughs> of like feature of like evil white Christians forever. This kind of 
always be optimizing and also always think that you're the most oppressed person in the world at the Mm. same time. Um, That is such a feature of like, um, you know, especially like white Christian Americans of feeling like they are always the oppressed minority. They always are offended by everything anyone ever tells them. They always need to put themselves first because they're always the oppressed minority. And then by doing that, they get to, wield power over other people right and so i feel like i feel like that's something that has existed for i don't know at least as long as the united states has existed but it's just become internetified or whatever it's it's a way of it's a way of thinking and approaching your life that uh that encourages an attempt to reject kind of ordinary human suffering and an attempt to lead a kind lead as frictionless an existence as possible and it is very, very anti-stoical. Like, and I don't mean stoic like a guy with a Greek statue, Avi, who is just, who is just, you know, he's just a, he's a one, isn't he? <laughs> it's a, it's, it's this insistence that every bad feeling you have has this kind of magical quality that must be ex- that must be externalized. Mm-hmm. As opposed to something which actually there are things that you can cope with. You can cope with. You can pull yourself together and you can cope with some stuff in your life. And if you start saying, oh, well, actually, I can't cope with anything because of capitalism. Well, that's like more or less everyone. Um, Or you or you say, "Okay, well, no, I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to optimize myself. I'm going to find a way of making my mind the hospital. Mm hmm. And I'm going to do that by going to therapy or I'm going to do something productive and proactive and I'm going to go to a life coach. But then what does this, what does this mean for uh, people who suffer, but don't, but don't need to, we're not talking about like the kind of the, the ordinary um, distresses and pressures that make up a human life. I mean, people who are working three jobs people who are digging in cobalt mines people who are picking tomatoes like how like how how are things being structured to to care for the significant mental health effects of these people why are we right. all we thinking about is knowledge workers who like who are like conducting exit interviews on dates like how is like how how is that the center (laughs) of this (laughs) of this conversation right well those are the people with disposable income to spend on life coaches and on therapy i mean like it's it's, it's (laughs) not as simple as that really isn't it (laughs) um i mean even just in the even just like the conceptualization of it like right in, in a kind of a sort of mysterious utopia where you could get therapy for free and that's just like expected as being something that you can do um because technically you're supposed to be able to get therapy for free here but uh, you can't um you absolutely you absolutely right. cannot um and haven't been able to for a good long while but if you can't afford to see a private therapist then you also can't afford to see a life coach so maybe this feels like this feels like um a way of kind of democratizing the process mm. of 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 interrogating 
the self. This isn't just something for 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 middle class well off people who have got right. who've got the time and disposable income to kind of sit in a chair and talk about their childhoods. Right. But but that's also so dishonest because if you are an influencer therapist, you're not you're not doing it to democratize the process of analysis. And if you say that you are. I think that you're lying and I think you're very dangerous and shouldn't be allowed near distressed people of any right. description. Right. I mean, and I do think there is, there would be cool work to be done to democratize analysis. like Absolutely. or to Yeah. To teach people, you know, basic Freudian concepts, let's say, you know, um, so that they can apply them to their own lives. And, you know, there are already many books about that kind of, um, but that, yeah, that's not what these people are doing. They're they're selling <laughs> they're selling themselves and their brands and their identity. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I think that the other thing is just like that's kind of how it has always been in terms of the people who can afford the care and can afford to experiment get to do that, and then they get to teach the people who can't afford. Mm to do it. Right. Which I'm implicated in that too. Like as someone in therapy who writes about therapy, um, who's writing a book about, you know, like my adventures through drug use and whatever, like, but I think that's just like how the economic system works is that the, there's a certain class of people who are able to afford the experience of self-interrogation <laughs> yeah. and then a certain sect of those people repackage that and sell it for cheaper to the masses or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like yeah, it's 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 always, and it's I I yeah like I don't know like the whole like sort of therapy as content thing and it's like even sort of distinguishing the two because I guess when I was watching these types of videos, um I I didn't I definitely didn't see it as like you know these are kind of therapists who are looking to kind of democratize like the work that they do or to kind of like present at least even a digital simulation of like what it's like to be in a therapist's office because I think you know, I, I will sort of add to the kind of chorus and sort of saying that like all this advice that these kind of very viral therapists um, on social platforms like seem to get like does not reflect the experience that I've had with multiple therapists uh, for the past like five years. Um, but it does also seem to be the case for like from, from to me, it sort of feels like these therapists also kind of know they're not really doing that either. Mm -hmm. And because like a lot of these therapists are also reacting to content, right? So they'll sort of see something like that is blown up on TikTok or blown up on Twitter and they'll be like, oh, hey, like I've got a PhD in like, you know, psychology and like I've sort of practiced, you know, therapy with private clients and, you know, here's actually what's going on. But because of the way that content works, you can't really kind of, if you're going to be successful on the platform, you can't really sort of be like, oh, you know, it's different for different people and it's like contextual and it depends on like, you know, other elements of your life and it's a very individuated experience. They will kind of like try to condense it into and it's and i think especially with like adhd stuff as well um this kind of like that sort of appeal to kind of so-called universality uh is much more prevalent but it kind of comes out in the form of reaction and i wondered whether yeah. like because I, I, I was just thinking about adhd like stuff right now and i wondered whether like there are certain types of kind of psychological like issues or like you know phenomena that you think that this type of therapy speak is much more prevalent in and like why that might be the case. Yeah. I mean, I think anything that can be made into a, a list, you know, we're past, we're past the buzzfeedification of mental health because <laughs> Buzzfeed's not popular anymore, but 
TikTok is basically the same thing. It's just in video format of like 10 signs you're this or anything that can be really be boiled down to a couple of traits, um, I think is more likely to be packaged, but also things that are still kind of sexy to have. Like no one is being like, tee hee hee, 10 signs you might be schizophrenic and losing your mind. Like, because that's not as a, uh, internet friendly. Um, although you know, maybe people will start doing that. Maybe I'll be. I think pe- no. I think psychosis. people are going to start. Honestly, I think people are going to start doing that. I'm going to become a psychosis influencer. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think the psychosis influencer is looming in the fe- in the very near future. God, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, but it's true. Ju- I got to jump on that bandwagon. I do. As someone who's experienced psychosis, yeah, I was gonna I say have... you've had this idea. Why not monetize? Come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. ten signs the shadow people want to be your friend. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I just think they're, I don't know, anything and everything that will be, that can be mined for content will be. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think, this is what people have become so used to having that they don't even know that there is more. Like when I talk about this stuff. People are saying like, well, you know, this TikTok helped me discover I had ADHD. So like, mm. how can you say it's bad? And I'm like, because of course it's fucking bad. You deserve an actual therapist and psychiatrist to help you figure out you have ADHD and get you on like life altering drugs. Right. Yeah. And you shouldn't be relying on TikTok and uh, whatever weird semi legal website that, you know, fly by night delivers you amphetamines to your door in order to be cobbling your healthcare together but people yeah. are just so used to this being how it is that they think that it's good well, i wonder how much of it is also just like this kind of see or you know and even just like low expectations right because um you know i i've heard like the story so many times and i think you know just the one that you reiterated which was like oh this kind of tiktok this like twitter thread this youtube video like made me sort of realize that i might have adhd or i might have this kind of like you know, minor psychological issue that I have sort of felt has really been like a big weight on my life. And now that I know I feel lighter and stuff, you know, that's an experience that I kind of felt too, like having like, had a diagnosis like much later in my life. But it also opened up these other questions, which is like, well, what do I do with this information? Right. Right. Because like, it kind of gives me a bit of comfort for sure. And it kind of gives me a bit more information, but like the things that would actually kind of make my day to day life easier, especially like in a workplace environment, like there is not like, again, because I am a freelancer for the most part, there isn't really the infrastructure that would kind of like help me make that life easier. Like for other people, I, you know, I, I'm very privileged to kind of like have, you know, lots of different things that help me out and like for the ADHD to not like too bad. But there are lots of people whose like situations are far worse and they have far less power to really do anything about it, especially if like you work in like manual labor or you work in like kind of very low, you know, low wage jobs, especially like gig economy jobs as well. And I think I always kind of keep coming back to these questions, which is like with this information, with all this content, with all this content that is like veiled as like good because it is activism, like what is their actual utility? And I don't, and I I, I just don't feel Mm. like it really has much. And that's a real, really the question that like everyone kind of involved in making content in this space, regardless of like how good their intentions are, really should be asking. Mm. Right. I mean, yeah, I I think that's right. And in that sense, it is a multi-level marketing scheme more than it is actual help. But I also think it's like kind of the universal thing of like, you're never allowed to say the and then what? Like, if you make a documentary about why the world is bad, you're not allowed to say, like, 
And then, so and then. then believe in communism and join a union or whatever, right? Like you, anything that's popular, any media that's popular, which includes social media, if you say the secret next thing, which is that, and your life sucks because of capitalism and you have to actually challenge capitalism if anything is going to change, mm. you do not make money as an influencer by doing that. <laughs> so, um, so I think they're... They can only say so much. They can only keep it so surface level because if they said the the other thing, they would not be getting brand deals. They would not yeah. be um, popular with you know Christian wine moms. They they would they would actually become political people, which is not a profitable thing to be. No. It, it's a, it's a disbenefit to uh, right. to to profit, and this is why it's so so absurd for. Uh, for people to sort of spend sort of spend their time saying, okay, well, here are the material conditions that people who live nice lives benefit from. So this particular individual uh, is going to uh, cede their position and give it to someone else. First of all, if you do cede your position, how do you ensure that it goes <laughs> to somebody else? That's not really how things work. And it also doesn't cause any kind of actual sort of actual change and you have to persuade people to participate in a broad mass change right which will for a lot of people significantly disbenefit them right and you can't pretend that this is what you want without acknowledging what significant sacrifices you yourself would have to make for it. Right. And this is why I think this is what I think is the issue with the with like the the socialist influencer as a kind of as like a kind right. of as a phantom because it has this fundamental dishonesty baked like baked deep deep into it. Right. And the influencer economy is based on your friendliness to capitalism. Like, yeah, of course. Like, of I, don't, I don't know if you can take money from Nike and then also, you know, say Nike uses child labor or whatever. Like, I, I just don't. I don't I think there's an inherent contradiction there between what is good for the world and what is made popular on the Internet. Yeah. And also, I think that sorry, I know that you have to go. So just the last point I was going to make about how we know that this kind of online therapy stroke life co life coaching deliberately blurred boundaries in terms of definitions and categories how we know it's a uh, an MLM is that it recruits a system of people like almost like a fandom who are willing to aggressively defend it so right. like as you, as you right. said if people say well i got a diagnosis of tiktok and it saved my life um then there's not really an answer to it, and how like um, how like this kind of digital future has to look is it has to be as antithetical to community and to mass movement as is possible, right? So the fact that it just so happens that you were able to get a diagnosis because you saw a you saw a kind of um, you saw a symptom list on TikTok, then there are five other people who've like developed this terrible anxiety that they have some terrible condition. Right. Also based based off right. TikTok. 
And people and people need to stop confusing. Okay, and then I really do have to go. Yeah. But people need to stop confusing yeah. the benefit that they've managed to squeeze out of this horrible system mm. with the system being good. Yeah. Like mm. if if you make a friend through church that doesn't make the Catholic Church a good institution, they've done some other bad things, you know? Mm-hmm. So like what why can't we think of the internet in the same way? Like, yeah, you may have made a friend. Yeah, you might have found your diagnosis or whatever. That doesn't make it good. We still live in a corporate hellscape that is horrible for you. And I'm glad you've managed to navigate it, but that mm. doesn't make it a good a good place. Yeah. And on that note, I think it's probably a good place to end. So, P, I thank you so much for coming on. We really end. appreciate it. Um, just before yeah. you have to go, have to go, uh, if people want to find you and like, uh, if people want to like follow your work, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, my new TikTok account, Psychosis Influencer 69. <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm on Twitter at PemPem and buy my book, Rabbit Hole, when it comes out in a year. And subscribe to Mental Health as well. Uh, and subscribe thank you. to Mental Health, yeah. Uh, and thank you for listening to this free episode of 10,000 Posts on our Patreon account. We have lots of cool bonus content, interviews, film reviews, really, really cool stuff. And uh, you should subscribe to it. Five bucks a month. It helps us to run the show. And it helps us to run the show without ads, which we really appreciate too. Um, I have nothing to plug, but except for that this show is produced by Devin and you can follow them at Devin underscore on Earth and listen to Kill James Bond if you don't already. And Phoebe, you have some stuff to plug? I, I have so much I have so much to plug. I have so much to plug. Um the uh mini series that Patrick Wyman and Milo Edwards and I recorded about uh where we revisited uh the hit HBO series Rome is now available. There's gonna be a link to it below. Um and we're really excited about it coming out. We're we're very we're very proud of it. Um that's like that's First episode is the first episode is free and then the remainder are two dollars each and I think fifteen dollars for the whole lot. And this is this is a lot of content and a lot of uh a lot of matron jokes. Um and a lot of a lot of uh really, really into the weeds descriptions of various Roman political offices. So if that sounds like your kind of jam, then do please consider uh giving it a little listen. Also subscribe to my Substack. There is a as threatened a very very mental essay up there at the minute about Lana Del Rey, and there will be something else up there by the time this comes out. So yeah, cool. Sounds like, good. Yeah, read, read my stuff. Listen yeah, to my do stuff. That. Do that. Just do consume that. all the Phoebe stuff. Do that shit. <laughs> and uh, and until next time, we'll catch you later. Have a good one. Bye. All right. Bye.